Welcome to Leaders and Legends of Online Learning, a podcast dedicated to the experts. Thank you for listening. Each episode will be learning from the world's leading thinkers and practitioners in online learning and linking to ideas relevant to online teaching, working with online learners and digital education. You can listen to the experts and check their profiles and link to some of their work on our website, www.onlinelearninglegends.com. I'm Mark Nichols, the interviewer in this episode. You'll meet Dr. Helen Crompton in this episode. Helen is the Director of the Technology Enhanced Learning Lab with Old Dominion University in Virginia, and her work spans mobile learning, virtual reality, and, since 2017, artificial intelligence. Listen out for the SETI model and some keen insight about online education. It's my privilege to be talking with Dr. Helen Crompton, an Associate Professor of Instructional Technology at Old Dominion University, based in Norfolk, Virginia. She's Executive Director of the Research Institute for Digital Innovation and Learning, and focuses her research on technology integration and learning with technologies such as mobile devices, artificial intelligence, and virtual mixed or augmented reality. Helen is also on Stanford's list of the top 2% of scientists in the world. Helen, it's really good to be talking with you. It's great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Great. Can we start with a brief overview of your career and publications? Yes, absolutely. So I actually started as um, a school teacher. I worked in the UK and I actually worked with children with severe behavioral problems Mm -hmm. for nearly 10 years. And I realized kind of typical traditional education, mainstream education wasn't quite working for them. We needed to look at other strategies and technology was kind of coming in at the point. I still had to type in, you know, run on the DOS systems. Mm, It it just kind of captivated the interest of the students. So I did that. Um, I came over to the US to teach in the schools for three years and I went into higher education. And my publications during the time and my interest has been in particular on two main areas. These are two main game changers, I believe, in education. The first one was that we had mobile devices and, you know, learning can be anytime, anywhere. And more than that, it can be contextualized, Mm. meaning that instead of teaching these abstract concepts with textbooks, we can actually go out to the places where these um, educational phenomena are happening Mm. and use the devices there to support. So mobile learning was a big game changer for me. Then in 2017, around that time, I was asked to design a course. It was supposed to be one of the first in the world to teach teachers how to integrate artificial intelligence in education. Mm. And I'd dabbled in bits of artificial intelligence, but that kind of really threw me in. That, again, is a huge game changer from both the back end and the front end of what students and educators see. So my publications, you can see a definite trend in mobile learning, artificial intelligence, and all sorts in between. It's kind of nice that I go across all learners, all subject areas, Um, As long as they're learning, I'm interested. (laughs) Great. So over 150 publications. But you started AI research in 2017, very, very early days. Uh, How have things changed over the last six or seven years? Yes, it's been extremely interesting. So the, the early days, it was just kind of 
getting those difficult computer science terms and making them a lot simpler. Hmm. So it was just explaining how artificial intelligence thinks and works and what it pays attention to. And then um, early on, still they had chatbots and things like the the first the first iteration of the course in 2017, which actually started was rolled out in early 2018, was having teachers that had never touched technology ever. Um, sorry, artificial intelligence. They they. They didn't really know anything about it. Mm. By the end of like a 14 week course, um, just doing things once a week, they actually had their students, third grade students, that's very young children, <laughs> yeah. working to develop chatbots for second grade students. Mm. So if you imagine that kind of blows your mind that not only were they learning, but they had their students creating chatbots and if i remember the topic correctly it was about um, healthy eating mm. so the second grade students had asked questions about healthy eating and they developed this and educators that are thinking about the pedagogy and the cognitive load and the information that's going through students mind that's perfect mm. from bloom's taxonomy it's like creating right at the top and um, so they did that then we added more on the generative AI uh, a few years ago, and I developed other courses for people, and it was very interesting. Just last year, I developed a course for the M Education Alliance, and I was trying to persuade them that we had to have generative AI in. Mm. And they were kind of going with what I was saying, but probably thinking, oh, this is going way beyond and now it's just kind of more of a general term. Everyone knows, mm. you know, generative AI generating things and chat GPT generating text, that it's come commonplace. So um, mm. thankfully we got these things in earlier, so more people. And there's, there's courses and things out there to explain things like this to educators. Mm, absolutely. So you're a bit of a pioneer in that, in that work as well. So a very, very broad range of research. What are some of the ideas and themes your work has provided that you sense are pertinent today? In fact, there's probably a long list, so please do take your time. I, I actually think of what are the real broad overarching frameworks. Like everybody in ed tech is very familiar with TPAC, Technological Pedagogical Content Knowledge that kind of looks at things. Mm. Then SAMA tells you the level. Mm -hmm. Well, I developed one called the SETI framework, Social Ecological Technology Integration Framework. I actually developed this in 2017, mm -hmm. but it was more focused on mobile learning. I've actually just published it this year mm. um, in its full final form. But what it actually looks at is I can see it kind of like the third one of that set. So TPAC focuses on, you know, making sure everything's well-rounded, technology, pedagogy, and content. SAMA, like I said, it goes from, okay, you've included technology, how are you including it? Yeah. Well, the SETI framework focuses on all those different pieces. For everybody who's been in schools, higher ed, they know it's not just the technology that makes a difference. Mm. What it is, is you have to make sure the technology is there, you have to include the tech support, the training, the policies, 
the funding. There's so many things that we don't actually have really a framework highlighting these. So um, I developed this framework. So if you imagine it as concentric circles. Mm -hmm. So in the very middle circle, there's the educator. And from my research, that is the most crucial piece to whether technology is going to be integrated correctly mm. into online learning, into even face-to-face, -face, is that the educator actually has a lot of beliefs. Yeah. And that actually is the number one thing I've found that makes a difference. But so this model, you've got the beliefs, you've also got family culture. Mm -hmm. On the next circle going out, you've got the microsystem. This is the school or it'd be the university, again, depending on what level. Yeah. And in that system, you've got training, tech support, access to tech tools, um, thinking about whether it's online learning, whether it's asynchronous, synchronous, or even face-to-face -face yeah. or blended. The next system is the meso system. I'm going to come back to that. But then you've got the exosystem, which is the school system. Mm. So again, thinking about that, that could be for a university, the state, or the kind of district. Yeah. Um, policies, funding, if there's a textbook, course adoption, um, funding for support. And then uh, the very final circle is the macro system, which is nationally. So that's thinking about the social tech norms, yep. the cultural tech norms, the standards, the internet connectivity, because as we know, those that kind of travel and get to see education across the world, it doesn't look the same. They don't have the same resources. Or even not just resources, they don't have the same thinking behind um, whether technology should be used or not. Yeah. So then going back to the meso system, which is in the middle, it has lots of arrows going different ways. It basically says that, okay, you might have policies at the school level, but you also might have policies at the system level nationally. So it's kind of showing it going across different places. But for those educational leaders, these are important things to think about because Educators, I'm sure, have experienced this so many times that you'll have some type of leader coming into the classroom saying, Oh, I've bought you this. I bought you, I bought you the iPads and or whatever. Or, you know, coming into your online system saying, I've I've paid for this program. It's gonna be great and it's gonna solve all the problems and everyone's gonna know how to use it. And it's like bringing a violin in. Hmm. It's like saying, oh, I've got violins and you're all gonna be playing them, great. <laughs> but no, there's a few more pieces that need to be taken into account. So hmm. out of all the things I would say that I've kind of provided, that is one of the main ones and that can go across working with refugees, thinking about things in different countries to um, just just many different contexts. It's, it basically has everyone bringing in all that they know to make sure technology is being effectively used. Great. Yes, yeah, so no educator is an island, are they? It's, it's not like you can uh, magically bring something into your classroom and suddenly everything changes. Uh, there is a, a huge ecosystem out there which really does um, determine how things operate. So the SETI model, S-E-T-I? S-E-T-I, yes. Fantastic. So 
Observations about online learning and education at the present time. So ChatGPT is clearly all the rage at the moment. Um, it wasn't so long ago that uh, every guest would talk about COVID-19. Uh, that seems now quite passe. I think um, AI has the has center stage. Um, what can you tell us about how education is going from your perspective? So uh, these are very, very tough times for uh, educators across the board. Hmm. And again, even going back to COVID. So we've had a, a string of things happening from COVID-19 and then thinking about those that actually provide online learning. They have this whole shift in, oh, we've got to now compete against all these other people there that are suddenly offering online learning that have experienced it during COVID-19. Mm. Also, the problem with that I found is a lot of people have been saying, oh, I'm, I'm doing online learning. And what online learning would look like would be a talking head. They would just talk to the screen, send the link out to students and but we know that that is not online learning. Yep. So, so it brought about a lot of these things. I always think of COVID-19, that was emergency remote education. Yes. But it didn't look like organized online learning. Hmm. And now we've got ChatGPT that's causing additional strain for educators. And I'm not negative actually towards ChatGPT. I'm actually super positive that this is an amazing thing. But the problem is we've always talked about transformative learning, transformative education, what we can do, but we have not moved towards that. We've talked about it, but we've not seen a lot of that happening. So suddenly now we're at a place where we're realizing that what we've done is what we've done for pretty much centuries. Mm. And we need to kind of update at such a rapid rate now because of ChatGPT. So all our assessments, if we're doing them a certain traditional way, they're not effective. We don't know how to do these things. And I think a lot of people are relying on someone coming up with a fix. I don't think there is going to be a sudden fix. For example, plagiarism checkers. Mm. They are not greatly effective with ChatGPT. And there's a few that have come out like Turnitin, are saying we can do it, but unfortunately, it's not actually very positive that they can do that because there's easy ways for students to get around them. So one example is a student could get ChatGPT to write a paper for them. Then they can just add a few spelling mistakes. <laughs> and then when it gets run through the system, it says, oh, no, it can't be AI. It's got to be a human. Mm. Now, with that, to me, educators that are working in this space just need to know about these things. So an easy way to fix that then would be look for spelling mistakes in the paper, correct those spelling mistakes, and then run through again. And that might be a little bit more accurate. Yeah. So, so we are going through very interesting times, but very exciting as well. I mean, look what ChatGPT can do. So there's so many ways now that we can actually think about education, thinking about education in the online space. Those things that we could do often in the classroom, debates and things, are highly advanced now with the way you, know, you can use ChatGPT even to 
have your students use ChatGPT as a debate partner. Mm. So you can say, you know, ChatGPT, I would like to have a debate with you. And it'll say, oh, what would you like to debate about? And it's, and you can have a full online debate. Um, students can use it for all sorts of study tools, even to ask for help with studying. What are study tips and what can I do? But for online, I mean, again, thinking about the cheating for papers, have students ask ChatGP to write papers for them and then have the students critique those papers. Again, you've got to do it in certain ways so they don't just ask ChatGPT to create, you know, to <laughs> critique its own paper. Yeah, yeah. But um, so, so there's various things like this. I know a lot of people are very nervous, educators are nervous of ChatGPT at the moment. And again, it's just getting to understand what it can do. It's it does have a great many limitations and it also hallucinates, meaning that it's it's kind of like talking to a person that knows it all. <laughs> and sometimes there's little pieces that it doesn't, that, you know, the person doesn't know and they'll kind of make up something that sounds very logical and believable. Yeah. ChatGPT does that. It, you know, I asked it a while ago, I said, who is known as the person that walked across the English Channel the fastest? And he actually told me, yes, walked across the English Channel. And for those that are thinking about that, yeah, that's <laughs> anyone would say, oh, yeah, that's impossible. You don't walk across water, <laughs> the channel, which is rather large. So, but it actually came back and told me a name and told me how long, 10 hours approximately. Right. And so what's nice is when students are using this, they've got to know that there are limitations. So if we think a student is cheating using ChatGPT, there's telltale signs such as looking to see the format. Quite often they'll have these three sentence paragraphs in a certain format. Yeah, yeah. Citations, it still doesn't do a good job, even though it's through Bing now. So it might look correct, but if you actually check the citations, that person who is well known in the field might not have wrote that article that year and so on. Yeah. yeah. So there's those things. And then there's the other thing of if a student suddenly starts talking about another concept that's not been talked about in class, that's kind of a telltale sign. Mm, but mm. there's great, as a, as a real um, critiquer of lesson plans, ChatGPT writes phenomenal lesson plans. Mm, mm. It's an interesting world we're entering now um, where you could almost do self-inquiry-based learning with a chat GPT partner if you had that sort of uh, knowledge of, of how to inquire correctly and, and learn correctly. This is actually quite a brave new world for education, isn't it? And I think we're just at the very cusp of things. Where do you think this might end up? So that's a good question because everyone's stuck now in which direction it should go. What are the guidelines for using these? To be honest, with ChatGPT, the cat's out of the bag now that it's there. So these pauses on AI and things, they're too late mm. um, that it's already out there. So I see 
education changing towards these more transformative where we have to actually really think about what we're giving students to do Mm. and that it actually focuses more on critical thinking but at the same time those that are not aware and not keeping up with these things it could be the absolute polar opposite so you'll have those that are using it to have students really critical think and then those that want to ignore chat gpt at the moment saying oh you know, let's push it off till later. Their students will be not thinking in the slightest. They'll just be putting these things into ChatGPT and many other programs like it mm. and having artificial intelligence do the work for them. Yeah. So if, so if teachers uh, don't catch up or, or try to keep up, it's the students who will eventually drive this. Yes, Absolutely. The research you'd most like to see, I always look forward to this question, and, and given your background and breadth of research, I'm very, very interested in your answer. So if you had an unlimited budget, unlimited time, uh, as much resource as you needed, what research would you embark on? So the, the research I would most likely to see is in artificial intelligence, in exploring more about what it can do, but in particular, thinking about that lack of accountability and lack of regulation, I would like more research to be thinking about, okay, what do we need to do with it? Who's regulating this? All this information that these artificial intelligence programs are getting, what about um, protecting the learners, protecting students, and making sure that this is regulated, this masses of data? Mm, absolutely. And you're saying that too, without the standard um, six-month run-up that many of us have to AI. So you've been looking at this now for, for many years. Uh, what are some of the questions that still need to be answered here beyond that? Uh, are there pedagogical questions? Um, are there teacher education questions? There's so many that it goes from um, what can we do with it? What are the best practices in using artificial intelligence from pedagogy, andragogy? Mm. And then um how to best use, uh, I mean, a lot of people ignore these, but how to best use the tool itself. So what are the prompts? How should we actually talk to these artificial intelligence to get the best out of them? Hmm. So thinking about those prompts and teaching people that way, because it's, again, the saying of what you put in is what you get out. Yeah. <laughs> so to get the most out of it, we need to figure those um, and then, again, those safety aspects and ethical aspects. And even I'm very interested as well in thinking about how artificial intelligence can support those in developing countries mm, mm. and low-income countries for the fact that a lot of the resources provided by artificial intelligence now were resources that were only for those that had money. Yeah. Yeah. All those like from marketing to even admin tasks. And I mean, if you want to think of it in a whole different level, in a way, it's like even cheating has been democratized. As in, you know, you don't have to have <laughs> yeah. you don't have to have money, you don't have to have skills in computer science to hack into something. You can cheat now <laughs> at every level. But let's think about this from the positive side now, in that we want to provide those resources that people didn't have those resources before, but it's now in education to get the information out to people because the tools are great, but if people don't know that they're there and what to do with them, that's where it gets um, unused. 
Sure. Actually, just coming back to your SETI framework, um, that's actually a very interesting lens to consider ChatGPT and AI from. So we've got this wonderful technology, uh, but what about those other layers that you mentioned? They don't seem to have caught up yet. Yes, absolutely. So again, it's thinking about we need the AI training. We have the access to the tools. That is actually changing somewhat, even this week from the generative AI tools that generate images. Yep. There are some tools now that this week have started charging, such as Midjourney. Ah, uh, yes. That yep. was one tool that was always out there. And then once people kind of get hooked, then they start charging. So we have to think again about access to these tools, making sure that they are available to all. But then support in all of these, but then policies is the big one. Mm. But again, at different levels, and this is where people are struggling at the moment, they're thinking, is it those higher up that going to, you know, is it the national system policies that are going to come in to then decide what they're doing to the school systems, to the school themselves? Yeah. So um, it's those, and again, still thinking of the national level, it's those tech norms. It's such as online learning is not always as acceptable in some countries than others. And they faced great tension with this during COVID. For example, I worked on a study with a colleague in Palestine. Yeah. And some of their parents would prefer them not to have any education than go online. Right. And then they started doing some things online. But again, cultural-wise, girls cannot always get access to those tools because girls often in countries have to have a chaperone, yeah. have to be protected because there is, it's not just a choice that way. There are more girls targeted in those countries, so they have to provide safeguards to make sure that you know their learning isn't going to produce something else. Mm, it's a fascinating times. Well, the SETI framework, so that is a great model to use to think about that. And even going back to the beliefs, if the educator right in the center doesn't believe artificial intelligence is useful, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that they will not use it and it won't be mm. useful. It's going to be really interesting to see how all of these things unfold. Yes. Helen, can we finish with two people you'd recommend as leaders or legends of online learning, uh, one whose work or perspective is significantly influencing you now, and one who you think otherwise might have an important perspective to share? Yes, absolutely. So the two people I would choose is, and I, I have many, so I had to kind of whittle down to, to have the most pertinent for this, Teresa Fulger. She is an Associate Professor of Education Technology at the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College in Arizona State University. Mm. She has done a lot helping look at online learning and kind of figure out the systems. She looks at scaling programs to, for large enrollment, as well as being effectively um, educating students, making sure that's priority, mm -hmm. and a creative online pedagogy for those diverse populations. So she's the first one. And then the other one as well um, is in Greece. He's Avagustus Tsenekos, mm -hmm. and he's the director of the Advanced Education Technologies and Mobile Applications Lab, director of the MSc in Immersive Technologies. Yeah at the Innovation of Education Training and Game Design and coordinator and 
doing all sorts of amazing things. That's at the International Hellenic University in Kavala, Greece. But I'm, I was especially interested in the way he was using augmented reality in the online space. Fantastic. Helen, it's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for sharing your work and for introducing us to the SETI model. And thank you so much for being a leader and legend of online learning. My pleasure. Thank you. You can learn more about Helen and her work from our website. That concludes this episode. Be sure to go to our website, www.onlinelearninglegends.com to follow up on this episode's guest. You'll also find links to others whose ideas continue to inspire and teach online learning professionals. And you can subscribe to future interviews. If you know of a leader or legend we've not yet talked to, please do drop us a line at onlinelearninglegends at gmail.com.